1: is an outrage broadcasting live
0: from the kvec studios in san luis obispo what
1: economy are you talking about
0: it's time for mortgage matters
2: matters.
3: matters. all right good morning Ooh, yeah that's loud for me yeah
4: engineering did something in here i gotta figure out where your mics are at so sorry dan if yours is a little
3: hot test (laughs) test (laughs) Sounds better. I think it was louder in my ears than anything. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome back, Dan.
5: Yeah. It's like a while since we've been in here together, huh?
3: It sure has (laughs) been. Yeah, really. I mean, it probably wasn't that. It's just because there was like a break in one show and a break. So I think we've only done one show together in like five weeks. Yeah. Like crazy.
5: Yeah. Summertime, gotta gotta work through all the vacations. A lot going on. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah feel like so, I'm finally uh, yeah. rested and recuperated from that Garth Brooks show. Yeah, the hero, the hero of this is sitting yeah. in the studio this morning, by the way, the one that New. scored the tickets. The man with the fastest computer in Atascadero got the tickets. That's right.
3: Jason's son there, so there you go. I always wonder how that works, too. Does it just catch you by nanoseconds yeah, where like crazy. they log the order of approval, or does it also everybody in the first 10 seconds yeah. goes in a lottery? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know how it works. Yeah, not that it matters. Yeah, it it's was, crazy though. All those resellers, all those people that bought speculative tickets, just trying to make a dime. I think yeah. a lot of people lost money. Yeah, and I'm glad just, too. All you s- ticket speculators out there, stop buying tickets to things you don't intend to go to. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Making it hard for those of us that want to just go normally. Mm-hmm.
4: Parking. I was appraised they got all the people in for the first show because they didn't even open up until seven o'clock, and I was like, there is no way they're going to get fifteen thousand people in there and start on time. And was they, that how many they people started that like holds? Yeah. yeah, they got started like four. They started like five or ten minutes late, and they had everybody in there. It was amazing. I could not believe yeah. it because mm-hmm. they because I was the voice of the fair, and they were lined up past me all the way down to the carnival and out into the parking lot.
5: It's Do, crazy. There's a different level of motivation to get in than yeah. to get out. Yeah. So getting out took, what, about an hour yeah, and a half? That was it. Yeah, that was <laughs> To the clear reason, it for the second show? <laughs> honestly, the reason it started
4: late, I talked to security, is because they had to go in there and actually ask some physically people. Physically remove people. Physically <laughs> remove people so that the second it. show could get underway. And of course, then security has to take their dinner break. So that I oh, imagine, off,
3: you know, you know kind of yeah. like the changeover at the buffet. Yeah. If you can hang out yeah. long enough from yeah. breakfast to lunch, yeah. you might just get that second Garth Brooks show it's for free. It's probably yeah. A lot of people that are like, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. already have a, I have a ticket to the second show. Right you don't yeah. need to get me out. Right, yeah. I already yeah. is. Yeah. You
5: still have to go out and
4: go back in. Yeah, and it was like even up in the VIP room where I was, where the the voice of the fair is. They had to come in and say, You oh, guys got to go. Where the voice in the VIP yeah, room.
3: I was in the VIP in the, room. In the, yeah, yeah, in the VIP like, room where the voice of the fair yeah.
4: is. <laughs> it was like, so, but they even had to come in there and say, You guys got to
3: go out and come back, who, who is the voice of the fair, Jim? Me. Oh, <laughs> is, that, is, that Jim. Why you, is that why you it's were in the Jim. VIP you room? Who would have guessed? Yes. <laughs> oh, man.
4: No, I was one of them. There's, there's three dog. of us. Dude. I was one of them. And it just happened to be during Garth, and I was like, you guys want me to do it? I want Garth. (laughs) So, yeah. So did you get to,
5: were you out there announcing him? Did you announce him? I I wasn't
4: out there announcing him. I was up then, I was doing the other stuff for the fair. Gotcha. Saying the other things. (laughs) There was other things happening. There was? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That night, yeah. Yeah, it's like. Yeah.
3: But I was there. Go over here and get a twenty-two-inch corn dog. That guy, right? That was really good. Telling them where to go. I had one of those. It was awesome. Yeah, I only saw them from afar. I did get my daughter a corn dog, but we just got we got the old standard one. Mm. You know. Mm -hmm. I guess the
4: fair food this year is the deep fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I heard about that
3: one. Oh wow! Did you have?
4: Have you had it? I haven't had it. I had the deep fried avocado. That was really good. That sounds good.
3: Yeah, it was really good. With the I know sauce. A, mm-hmm. I know a gal who ate the maple bacon cheeseburger maple oh, donut.
4: Oh, that, that was good too. I you ate that. that? I had some of that. The maple two yeah.
3: maple glazed donuts yeah. made into a hamburger oh, with bacon and jam.
4: Wow. Well, talk you had that? that? Yeah. yeah, you might want to have a defibrillator you with you, you when you're doing that. You because you scared your heart's for the next
3: couple hours yeah, while was, you like, uh, felt your blood slowing? No, I had
4: one Get ready, was, Wheezy. Uh, <laughs> I'm no, coming to see you. No, I did. It was good, but, yeah, I don't want to see the calorie count on one of those things. That's for sure.
3: I don't think there are calories in the fair, are there? Oh, never. I think once you go inside. <laughs> I think once you never. go inside, there's never, no, no calories. No, no. Even the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Good times. Hey, Dan, did you see the uh the ever popular and contested housing ordinance is repealed? That, oh, first slow. Those, yeah, the rental inspection
5: ordinance. It actually passed the and now it's going back on the ballot, though, okay, yeah, they're doing the special election, yeah, yeah, I saw I did see that that special election was being mailed out to everybody, and um you know we've already talked about the cost of the special election, yeah, which is pretty expensive, six figures Ooh. to uh to administer this thing, and good save there, Jason Whew. that could have been disastrous. there's a lid on it though it' probably been fine, I remember there being some concerns about how. If it were to pass, you know, the whole idea was that it was to repeal that rental inspection ordinance, which already got repealed. So now there's fear that if this passes, it's going to have some unintended, um, effect on potentially some other protected individuals. Um, you know, they talked about low income housing or senior, um, communities or different things like that, where could it, could it bleed over into these other areas and, and you know, make those things unallowable.
3: There are a couple of interesting things I saw about this is, number one, city council members say they're never going to bring back the rental housing inspection ordinance.
5: You can't. I mean, sure, that's great for this council to <laughs> right. say, but they can't
2: speak for future, future councils. Right.
3: Yeah, so the ballots are due by August 22nd, so it's right around the corner, less than a month away now. Um, a yes vote would mean a permanent repeal of the housing um, inspection ordinance and an adoption of non discrimination in the housing code. The non discrimination stuff into the housing code seems like it's um, hard to define, and you know, being called the loophole stuff now. Non discrimination, of course, that's a compelling term. Most people were voting in favor of non discrimination, but. Um, Critics are saying it's kind of a trap because it includes legally unrecognized terms and legally unclear categories like income or owner or renter, ability to own a home. So not being able to clearly define which groups of people these terms and categories are attempting to target, um, gaining a little bit of criticism. But a no vote means that city council continues to use the state and federal laws on the housing and non-discrimination. It would allow the council to bring back inspections in the future if ever needed so sounds like they sent out uh what they say they sent out 29,000 ballots and have received back 500 of them so far at the county clerk recorder's office so um
5: but there's still three weeks or so
3: yeah there's three weeks to go so obviously it's early count and I, i think a lot of people are going to be uh those last minuteers, right Sure, or a bunch of people that honestly don't really have a dog in the fight, you know, and just don't care enough. Yeah, unfortunately, I would, I believe, the vocal minority on both sides of this is probably who's had the microphone the longest. So, um, anyways, we'll we'll keep you guys up to date on how that all unfolds. What happens with the a yes vote means that you would have a permanent repeal. And then a no vote means that they could bring it back if they wanted to at some time. But you bring up a great point. What about the next council? Or the next ballot measure? I was going to
5: say, even if they vote to not be allowed to bring it back, couldn't they vote to repeal not allowing to be able to bring it back?
3: The the
5: repeal. (laughs) Is anything ever really permanent, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
3: The repeal of the repeal? No, I don't think so. There's also another story I saw, too, about the um, housing development there of what, um, I want to call it Delidio. But is, <coughs> yeah, that, is that the proper term, though, for Delidio that's Ranch?
5: San Luis Ranch, I believe.
3: So this is the land between Madonna Road and Highway 101. Um, the city has approved a
5: 500-home community I saw a very interesting letter to the editor in the Tribune this week regarding that, and it was from a farmer, a local farmer, and they were saying, they were calling, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the sketches of the the plan that's being approved, and it, it's still... Um, has some portion of that land dedicated to agricultural use. The part that's right along. Yeah, Highway they're they're
3: wanting to be kind of a farm stand type of environment too, where they intend to do some outdoor markets and have like kind of little neighborhood farmers market type of thing. I think honoring that use, but also that's kind of one of the. It's like the corridor into San Luis, right? It's where you first come to the sign that says "Welcome to Historic San Luis Obispo" and stuff. That's the property. Yeah. So the design and aesthetic of that's really important. But I didn't see the article. What are you going to say? So
5: this farmer was basically saying this is like a faux piece of agricultural land. Like just cut it out. Why don't you just put the houses on larger lots and make it make it residential? If that's what it, if that's what this project is, is residential. Make it a residential project. Don't just sit here and put a little bit of agriculture in the middle because it actually makes it tougher to farm. You have to, well, you know, the farmers have their facility with all their equipment and facilities somewhere further away, and to farm this little island of land, they have to, to
3: commute. Your bring their your equipment, equipment and bring
5: the produce off. And well, not it's only just that, more complicated. And they're like, why don't you just make them make the houses on bigger lots? Or well, something? and history's taught houses us. There.
3: History's taught us too that. <laughs> Putting a bunch of dense residential right on the edge of farming land is not necessarily a, a cohesive use, on account of you
4: get bugs. There's weird bugs stuff.
3: and dust and smells in that yeah. lot. By the way, everybody knows it too. If you lived in slow for any period of time, I don't know if it's the cauliflower or the broccoli or both, but Stink when you drive sometimes. right by, it yeah, get pretty stinky. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's also a very windy corridor too. You know, there. So it'd be interesting to yeah. see how that all shapes up. But I always think that whenever, a, you know, you have a farm, now you come in the adjacent parcels filled up with housing. Now the days are numbered on that farm. Oh, yeah. When farmers start working early, they're kicking up dust. Now you see them spraying anything. They could be spraying water. And all of a sudden, you know, you got everyone's up in arms. About, what are they spraying? And look how close I am to this. Right. Oh, you built and bought a home next to a farm. <laughs> they use things and move dirt and grow stuff. <laughs> early in the morning so it chases those out you know i always think it's kind of funny um when you when people do that
4: i mean they don't check out what's around them or they don't ask or they just believe they can fight it later yeah you
3: know most important thing is to get in at a good value yeah my uncle had
4: a chicken ranch and messy and smelly and oh, yeah. and, and people noisy chickens are noisy too. You know, and but but it had been there since like the 20s and 30s and <laughs> right. people are like complaining you know they that the house you know their house is built in the 70s 80s you know oh yeah you know, people are like, crazy
3: guys it, people the, are this crazy. chicken
4: ranch has been here like 50 years before the house was even built
3: so it's people just crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. when i was in school One of the things that we, you know, I was a city and regional planning major at Cal Poly, so these things are intimate parts of that curriculum. You get all up in the weeds. Mm. One of the most fascinating things I think that they ever talked about and taught us about in school was when they did people self-help housing, Mm -hmm. built a couple blocks of homes. There's a few blocks. So some land was donated. They built a few blocks of homes in a row, right? Mm -hmm. So the... Build out the first block, and there's a thing where the, you know everybody's participating. you got to put in so many hours as you work right. your way through. Mm-hmm. Halfway through the project, the people from the original phase were out protesting, completing the project, because they didn't want those kind of people in their neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Wow. These things are, so, people are crazy. Yeah, These things are they, fascinating. Are
4: they, yeah, it's silliness, isn't it?
3: Yeah. yeah, so that project, though, right there is a 131-acre project is going to be up to 580 homes. They're going to put in a 200-room hotel, a um, couple of multi-use parks, office, and commercial space. Uh, more than half of the land will be set aside for agricultural and open space. I think it's an idea to put another kind of transportation hub over there where you could have you know more public transit transit kind of get people shuttling easier over to town and stuff. Mm -hmm. The idea is that it's going to be able to, A, take a little bit of the burden off of the housing pinch that we have here, uh, but then also hopefully cut down on a little bit of the um, commuter traffic. You know, that um, I think probably, too, I would imagine that at least some of the people that want to live there – are wanting to be in slow. I mean, obviously you want to be in slow if you're going to buy a house there, but maybe even be one of the first neighborhoods in slow where you could get away from being fully automobile dependent. You know, if they lay it out well enough, it's definitely centrally located enough. Yeah. But doesn't it mean, I thought that whole project from every proposal, the problem has always been that they want somebody to pay for an overpass at the Prado road, right? Is that not true anymore?
5: I I got to believe that that's part of this whole thing cuz that's that's a lot of new people to add to a part of town where there's not great access. So
4: I, I may be wrong here, but I've heard that that is part of it, but it's not in the first phase. Uh so they're kind of worried that the developer may go, "Oh, yeah, first, second phase. Oh, I'm going to I'm not going to do the third phase, which is where the bridge comes up hmm. or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. maybe I'm totally off
5: base there. Those aren't inexpensive projects, right. those overpasses. exactly, exactly.
4: <laughs> so I think that there's, a, I might be totally off base, but I think there's a scare that it's not in the first phase. Yeah, that without
5: out. that overpass, yeah. it seems like there'd be a lot yeah. of traffic impact yeah. to an already impacted area there, getting, right. getting through that Madonna to south. Highghara area. That's a tough little area. Yeah, the radio area.
4: station used to be over there, and believe me, yeah. I know it was not fun trying to get around over there sometimes. Yeah, even now. So yeah, I'm I'm glad we're on Sacramento Drive, even though it's 27 backs up too. But,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just started looking at the comments of these articles too.
5: You gotta. You can't go below the. The horizon line.
3: I used to really love reading comments. I think I need to stop (laughs) reading comments. I
5: find that, I mean, just on mundane, you know, just non-controversial things, like some sports stuff I like to follow. I can't go down below the end of the article anymore. I'm going
3: to read you the first comment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read you the first comment. (laughs) No, please don't. It's not in all caps, but we need to get back to the 1% growth rate. We're losing the slow charm. Meh. What? Who who mathematically proved to us, by the way, that if you look at when the 1% was adopted back in 79, I think it was, we're like a quarter of a percent growth in terms of housing stock in San Luis Obispo. Are we
5: even at 1%? No. Well below it.
3: (laughs) Cumulatively. In fact, I forget the stats now, but it was something if we added... 14,000 homes in one year we wouldn't even catch the 1% growth cap that was um, so in that by the way um, I understand that's also the slow charm and stuff and I um, I don't know I, I don't even want to make opinion about whether or not we should be growing or not or whether it affects charm or not whatever I don't live in San Luis Obispo obviously for us um, having a housing a jobs and housing market that has some kind of balance is smart. I mean, that's unless you're one of the exclusives that gets here, staked your claim and now wants like, you know, to put up a border wall that's impenetrable to anybody ever. And then I guess they should probably also want to go start sterilizing the people that are here too. So that, you know, you can (laughs) not have, it's crazy. Um, I do though, and I think probably also because of the planning background. Though I really like neighborhoods and uh, developments and stuff that are really thoughtfully designed, and making an attempt to do an infill project that can create some size housing that's appropriate for work or you know workforce housing. All these try to incorporate as many elements as you can. At the end of the day, you can't make all the people happy. No. <laughs> the next comments. Ah. All right, I'm done with this. Let's do a breaky. You ready for that? I'm ready for a breaky. <laughs> cool. Well, that the way, first breaky of the show. That way, I could get daughters set up with some electronic I babysitter.
4: Was gonna, I was gonna say maybe you know She's, we could do yeah. that because your son's perfectly happy over
5: there, <laughs> well, but your daughter's
3: spinning around in the chair. We're
5: losing contact with the seat right now. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> uh,
3: Trey is 14, yeah. nearly 15. Yeah. So he's no doubt he's on YouTube right now watching some channel of some sort or other.
4: Well, you don't really he want would, him to watch, right? He would obviously <laughs> no, he yeah, would he's be in smiling right over right now. there. He's like, he know what you're saying.
3: He's no, he's got good judgment, but he's yeah. he's the kids today watch these yeah. people that are YouTube stars and they're rich just for making YouTube videos. I know, isn't that crazy? Silly things. Yeah. Yesterday he's telling me, "Dad, you got to watch this. These guys bought Walmart vests on eBay." And now they're in Walmart acting as though they're helping people and they're you know just pranking so, them. So they're working for free. <laughs> they're yeah. pranking them. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Maybe we should. Let's get some Walmart vests and go prank <coughs> people at Walmart. Yeah, no. I got I got way better things yeah. to do. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> Let's do a commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes here with more Mortgage Matters.
0: Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too
3: often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or
1: short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just
6: call 543
1: Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 18 DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358.
6: We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending.
1: Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com
6: rooms have almost healed she'd give half a Texas Just to change the way well, She knows his love's in Tulsa And she knows he's gonna go bill well, it ain't no woman flesh and blood It's that damn old road he goes Oh, well, it's bulls and blood It's a dust and mud It's a roar of a Sunday
4: crowd <laughs>
3: I've been feeling a lot more country this week. I know. that's a fun show.
4: Yeah. He, he opened with that the first and second show, I believe.
3: <laughs> Do you have any idea why Garth Brooks is back on the road?
5: You know, I, I think he just He said he had a new album, right?
3: He has yeah. a new single right now. A oh, new single. Yeah. And I don't know that it's a whole album yet, but I'm... A new single? On. A single's probably enough to make a bajillion dollars anymore. Oh, yeah. Well,
5: didn't you say that... You were you just doing your own math or did you read that somewhere that he no, made I was, a couple million bucks?
3: I was told by some insiders that he made on fees from the ticket sales, made nine hundred thousand dollars for each show. Yeah. And then in in other logic, I was mm. told that the fair basically pays a huge act like that, a million bucks to come in. Yeah. So a lot. I'm figuring dude made almost three million bucks to go do the Mid State Fair. Well, I know for a few. He also has a 12 or something person person band, too, right? right. How many people were on the stage? There's there's a lot lot of people. And it's a big production and all the things. So it's obviously he's not making three million bucks on the night, but. I mean, he made more than That's
4: we made that night. That's the gross revenue well, to yeah.
5: his business.
4: Yeah, yeah, I but wonder if Trisha comes out of that,
5: too. Trisha's salary. I'm sure. Yeah, because it's all but, one ticket. There's Yeah, there's a call coming
4: through. Cool. So
5: Yeah, might as well. It's a good good time to remind people. We're here. We're live. Um, and, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call live in the studio. 543-8830. 543-8830. Or 800-549-5832.
3: There was a um a fair amount of housing and economic news this week too, as I'm sure you saw. Even though um you know Friday was obviously a, a little bit of a, a foggy day for us being out super late at the fair, but um still had an opportunity to, to get in there and read and prepare a bunch of this stuff. Um one of the big well Several pretty equally huge announcements this week, but um, the full text of the July Federal Open Market Committee meeting statement, you you saw this, I'm sure.
5: Yes, definitely.
3: Inflation on the (laughs) 12-month basis is expected to remain somewhat below 2% in the near term, but to stabilize around the committee's 2% objective over the medium term. So still optimistic that they're going to be able to get inflation in line with what it needs to be.
5: Um, not quite there yet. Yeah, it was kind of viewed as a, some dovish comments. Um, I, I think sp- right now there's speculation that we'll only see one more rate hike this year as a result of that moderate or you know controlled pace. The other
3: statement here that I bolded in the article is that the committee expects that economic conditions will evolve in a manner that will warrant gradual increases in the federal funds rate. Um the funds rate is likely to remain for some time below levels that are expected to prevail in the longer run. So that's that that's that dovish kind of remark I think where they're basically saying it's going to be gradual, and we're gonna we're gonna have for some time we're gonna have interest rates below the below the uh, kind of that long term rate that we know is coming. and And I I take that to mean that they're probably just trying to take their foot off the gas a little bit on these rate hikes and and see how everything works out. Um, and then additionally, we got a little bit of a, a statement about the committee um, and their feelings with the um, balance sheet normalization. We've been talking about this for quite a while, but the Fed's holding about $4.5 trillion worth of bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And they said that they're going to be implementing the balance sheet normalization program relatively soon, uh, provided that the economy evolves broadly as anticipated. I I read that to think that they're still on track for something around the wintertime, probably fourth quarter of this year. They're going to be putting together um, the slowdown of that. And so um, we'll, we'll see exactly the details of what's going to happen. But it sounds like it's just going to be um, letting some of that stuff go through its normal runoff. Basically, the first step will just be to stop reinvesting Um, the money made from sold securities, securities that are paid off, uh, treasuries that are paid off, rather than reinvesting those dollars back into the market that just sort of let the security and the the balance sheet kind of slowly atrophy the way that it normally would. That's what normally happens.
5: So the Fed has been a buyer of mortgage-backed securities now for, what, darn near eight years or something? Yeah. Do you... Are they... Do we know what their current level of investment is on a monthly basis or even annual basis? I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to understand if them, if the Fed stops being a buyer of mortgage-backed securities, even if it's just the reinvestment portion, um, you know, if that will have a significant impact on the, the supply and demand of mortgage-backed securities. If it'll have a negative impact on interest rates. Meaning rates going higher because there's one less buyer out there of these securities. I was going to try to pull up and see. I mean, you said their total holdings are about four and a half billion. Four and a half trillion. Trillion. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And let me see.
3: See if I can Google on and the then fly. And then
5: if when they not only, you know, if they just stand their ground and don't reinvest, that's one thing. But when they go to actually become a seller of these four and a half trillion dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities, that... That's the fear. Because yeah. now, now what you're doing is you're bringing
3: into market something that's going to directly compete with what needs to be being well-received by the market today. And chances are... You know, and the, today's rates are already a little bit higher than the rates from a few years ago. So, um, the, uh, if you're going to be buying a mortgage-backed security, do you want to buy it at a three-and-a-quarter coupon or a four-coupon? I mean, I think the answer is simple. You'd like yeah. to buy it at a four. Um, so, perhaps when they bring it into market, it actually benefits uh, the consumer where it drives the current market interest rates down a little bit. But, um You know the fear is that it it's exactly the opposite. Is that once you inundate the market, now you're going to end up having to provide such a higher interest rate just to get people to want to get in there and buy them. You you know. So, but I think that's the biggest fear, though, is what does happen and could they screw this up? That's why we're clinging. You know, now every single meeting, everyone's clinging to. Well, what are you saying? What are you going to do? How is this going to work? How quickly are you going to do it? How is this going to shock the housing market? Could the feds be, you know, and I don't, I don't know that there's ever been a time where the fed was such a significant holder of, of the mortgage backed securities debt. I, I can't find the answer on the fly, but I was reading recently that the total mortgage backed securities holding in the country is about $20 trillion from what I recall. And again, I'm shooting from the hip. So it, it seems to me that they probably are making up about a quarter of the overall owned portfolio. Um, and then in terms of reinvesting, um, the, it, it's that's a pretty minuscule amount. I mean, they've been reinvesting uh, what I think has only been about 8 billion a month or so. Um, you know, when the securities pay off, they reinvest that 8 billion back into the market. So that's not a significant enough. Um, you probably could help ground some of these numbers too, because we know that some of the majors are funding billions of dollars worth of home loans every month.
5: Sure. $8 billion is not a significant amount on a monthly basis. I, I don't know how much is funded monthly, but I know it's a lot more than 8 billion. Yeah. And
3: 8 billion, I think is some of the stronger, you know, I I recall over the last year or two seeing that sometimes it's only a billion or two a month that are, you know, going through that, that runoff. So I don't think it's enough to um, mortgage related outstanding. Yeah, there's some great numbers in here that I think I would need to spend a little bit more time with because it is it's broken out quarterly and annually of what, the total U.S. dollars in billions? Yeah, it's a lot of billions. I would need to even practice knowing how to say these numbers. <laughs> 2016. All right, I, I got to sound like a fool here because I don't, I don't want to just talk out loud on the radio and read this number, but how would you read this number? Six, comma... 262 in billions. Wow. Wait, what? I don't even know.
5: Six billion two hundred and sixty-two million. No, it's in billion it's six trillion two hundred and sixty-two billion. So we're talking
3: trillion? Yeah. So then this is suggesting then that quarter one of twenty sixteen, and basically every quarter from twenty fourteen has been about the six trillion. So yeah. that would make the mortgage-backed securities market then 24 trillion dollars a year. Seems Out- like a lot. Uh, this is outstanding. So Who knows? That's right in line with what I was thinking or expecting is that outstanding is somewhere around 20 trillion. So this thing's 24 trillion. Issuance. It's a
4: lot. <laughs> yeah.
5: it's,
4: it's just a lot. So well,
5: yeah, it but gets... it's so the not, not reinvesting the the runoff portion of mortgage-backed securities by the Fed at a at a pace of as high as eight billion a month is is a tiny sliver. So it's not going to have it's like any taking impact. Taking sand to the beach. But when the Fed becomes a seller of their four and a half trillion dollar portfolio of Mortgage-backed securities that could have some impact, but I bet they could pace it out where it's really a negligible, negligible amount. You know, there, there's no urgency necessarily to to sell it, so it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Issuance,
3: it, by the way, of and of course we've got agency and non-agency, but issuance of mortgage-backed securities per month. Looks like it's in the ballpark of, like, January of 17 was $145 billion in just January. Wow. 102 in February, 99 in March, 100 in April, 103 in May, 116 billion in June. So what you're talking about is the Fed, depending on the month, is somewhere between a quarter, you know, maybe and and 10% of the total issuance just being reinvested, that's not a market moving amount. Um, that's not competing with the broader issuance. So right.
5: we've got a caller on the line. We've got Rick calling from San Luis Obispo. Morning, Rick.
7: Hi. Um, I've got a question. Are, was this uh, $20 trillion in, in purchase of mortgage backed securities? Uh, in addition to the quantitative easing, or was it the quantitative easing?
3: That was part of quantitative easing. So you had basically what's one, two, and three? Um, three was Operation Twist, right? Which was the no real end or, or predetermined number. But yeah, that this is the this is the summation now of the quantitative easing that bought mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, and the total portfolio equaled up to be about $4.5 trillion that's held.
7: Well, were, were they um, – I, I heard when they were doing the quantitative easing, and I never heard what, what was actually happening with that money. I heard they were giving the money to the banks. But were they doing that by buying their bad um, mortgage-backed securities?
5: No, these weren't bad. Yeah, they were not buying bad mortgage backed securities. Well, they were buying the new issued securities. Okay. Oh, the new ones. Yeah. And that, they were just in there because the market was so frozen um, that the Fed becoming a buyer was to hope what was to one, instill confidence in this housing this mortgage backed securities market where everyone had lost confidence due to the true. crash. And and really just, just to be a buyer to help create some some demand and start to ultimately to thaw the the security. I mean, the whole market market. was frozen. It was to bring confidence back to that market.
7: Uh, But, but were they also just giving money to the banks? And if so, like, do they get that money back?
5: Um,
3: TARP was what, what you're describing to me is ultimately TARP. And yeah, there was a lot of money that the banks were ultimately forced to take to create liquidity again, to thaw them. And, and I believe um, all
5: those monies were paid back. Uh, not all, maybe a couple companies had in total, when you
3: look at the amount that was, was handed out, um, there was a ton of money handed out and not every bank repaid it. So I think like 89% of the banks that received the money gave it back, but the total monies received was greater than the total capital outlaid. So the program as a whole was definitely profitable to the balance sheet, uh, for the U S but, not, not everybody that received money was ultimately uh, able to repay it.
7: So the banks were able to re- repay it out of proceeds?
3: Many of them, because of the nature of it, were really just forced to pay it. But yeah, yeah it was either proceeds or ultimately just hanging on to the assets from the time they received it. Until the time they gave it back.
5: Yeah, there were stories that a lot of the banks didn't want or need the money, but they were forced to take it. So they just took it, held it, and then repaid it when they could. Right, but it gave them the confidence to
3: be able to, to use the capital they were already holding to be able to make those consumer loans and the other things they needed to do, meet depository <laughs> demands and those kind of things they needed to do um, that was causing some of the... Um, conservative business decisions and also just borrowers and ability to to get adequate funding from banks
7: well i read that the banks were uh were, uh most of the banks were using it to buy government securities and getting higher interest from yeah. those and well that was about the only income they had for a while because people weren't getting home loans
3: I never read that really, and I mean when when we were tracking the purchase of the mortgage backed securities as well as the bonds, you know, you always had direct and indirect bidders, and um, oftentimes, so there, there's a certain amount of bidders that are required to bid. Those are the direct bidders, which are going to be like um, some of the bigger regional banks um, now. The indirect bidders, though, are going to be private enterprise. And that that balance, from what I recall, was usually about 50-50. And the direct bidders weren't always the ones um, buying and winning. But I never heard that any of those guys were uh, kind of... Making their establishments profitable by buying the very debt, you know, that they were required to with money also forced down their throat from the same agency. That when sounds when a little bit. You're talking about bit, buying
7: debt. You're talking about buying government securities.
3: Yeah, that. Yeah, basically treasuries in that sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um,
7: you never heard they were doing that.
3: No, and it, I, I would need to research it. At, at first glance, it sounds a little bit conspiracy theory-ish-y to me, but. Uh, oh, no,
7: I I heard that that was that was the main thing that was being done with the money, and and that was like a, I guess a backdoor uh, uh, subsidy of the federal government, kind of, because remember what what a hole we were in in '08, uh, with with, you know, with the t- almost total collapse of the stock market.
3: Sure, but in in that lump of those indirect bidders, though, I mean, this is how countries abroad like China have been able to buy so much of the government debt. But what, what you're basically saying by way of reading is that the government needed U.S. banks to buy their debt, but they didn't have the capital to do it. So you provided them the money, required them to buy the debt, and then paid them the interest on the debt, and that was what propped up the economy. That's the part what I'm saying sounds... What? Maybe Maybe that's not impossible, but it sounds a little bit far-fetched to me. Um, and I don't know. I I'm, I You piqued my curiosity now. I'm pretty sure I know what I'll be reading about tonight when I got the laptop in the lap, but... Well, you know, the
7: banks weren't making home loans, and and they weren't uh, providing money to builders, and uh, and I don't know what they were making money off of other than consumer loans. But they were. Oh, uh, really you can go, but you can, either.
3: Rick, you can go back and look though. Bank profits are public record every turn, yeah. and if you actually do go back and look at two thousand eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Still through this day, um, the banks make the lion's share of their money off of making home loans. I mean, we we used to run commercials eight years ago saying, um, you know, there's all this... This false idea that the banks aren't lending money. The banks had never stopped lending money. They just Um, got really
5: conservative on who they would lend to. Well, sure. Mm -hmm. And also, we had a lot
3: of borrowers that couldn't demonstrate an ability to repay. So it's great that you're a builder and you want to borrow money. Your last two years' tax returns are you losing money at record paces. So... Um. Yeah. You know that some of those banks that were they wanted to loan the money they had trouble finding credit worthy borrowers and
7: so, so um how were home sales like after O eight and stuff are you saying that they home sales stayed up and they were making still making the same amount of money on them
5: no when- units units sold were definitely down there for for a. Short period of time, but then in you know 2010, right at the bottom of the market, 2010, 11, 12, um, units number of units being sold was starting to pick back up in a major way because it was just all the discounted homes. People had figured out that it was the bottom of the market, so there was a lot of a lot of cash sales going on. But still, even the financed sales under the new conservative underwriting guidelines, the the loans that were being made were, were high quality loans. They were very profitable loans and that is where the banks made the lion's share of their money because like you said, there wasn't a lot of other Revenue to the banks.
3: Yeah, and let's not forget, though, that those credit standards that you keep calling conservative, that those were the standards that were tried and true from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. We deviated from them and found ourselves in deep financial trouble. So now we went back to the basics. And so now all, it was very sobering for many of these people to come back in and say, wait, you need to verify my everything to get a loan. Oh, yeah, and if I was loaning your money, you would expect me to vet a borrower to the same degree. So we had to go through a period of retraining where everybody that borrowed money had to fully document their ability to repay. And and we're still there today, but um, I don't think there was ever a period where any bank in the U.S. was simply unable to loan money.
7: Well, I,
2: or unwilling. I,
7: know, I know that the money they've got on deposit from, uh, you know, just depositors, um, guys like you and me, um, they weren't paying almost any interest on, and yet they were charging the same amount for consumer loans and uh, credit cards and stuff. And so that seems like kind of a goldmine in that respect.
5: It, I mean, they definitely made money on those those services as well, but I, from what I recall in the... Right after the crash, the, still they were making the majority of their money off of the mortgage side. Well, and don't forget, too. Mortgage that is just a hugely profitable channel it's to banking. F- it's, it's very
3: profitable. And um, one of the things we know, like we just, um, in fact, you weren't on the show. I clipped bank earnings. I might even still have them in my email here. Um, I clipped bank earnings. Um, yeah, I still do. Here, second quarter earnings came out a week ago, Friday. Um, JP Morgan and Chase revenues fell 26 percent compared to a year ago. Citigroup fell 52 percent compared to a year ago. Wells Fargo fell 19 percent compared to a year ago all of these bank earnings are a result of the higher interest rates in the, the de- mortgage market. Yeah, the declining Remember, refi volume. They're with prime going up, they're getting to make more on home equity lines of credit, other prime-based credit that they're credit extending. Cards. Yeah, and so this it always provides the context that mortgages are where these banks make or break themselves. Uh each each month, each quarter, each year, um, and going back to your original point too about what the savings rate paid to the consumer versus the rate of credit. Yes, I agree with you. However, um, this last period, too, as we've had these banks undergoing stress tests and the new balance sheet requirements, the regulatory burden and expenses on these banks has been immense. So that difference in what they pay you versus what they're intaking is almost going exclusively now into um, paying for the regulatory environment that's been built around them. So. Right, wrong or otherwise. And we hope that those those changes have been, you know, part of what will help prevent a failure like this in the future. Um, Only time will tell. But that's been and this is why I mean, what we just lost our last local bank. Right. I mean, Heritage Oaks now sold into another bank, um, but nationally, these numbers are crazy about just the loss of all of these banks that are folding into the majors because they can't afford the cost of compliance.
7: Hmm. So, are, are you it's saying not that, because
3: they have windfall profits?
7: Are you saying that the losses that these big banks experience uh, is because the Fed is raising interest rates?
5: No. The losses they were experienced were were due to the legacy loans. The loans from pre crash that were, you know that shouldn't have been made in the first place. Yeah, those those legacy loans create still to this day create losses to banks. Absolutely.
7: Um, But I mean these twenty four percent down things that you were talking about that these banks were experiencing, this well, these aren't
3: these aren't losses though. This is revenue decline. So it's, well, exactly, it's still
5: profitable, but it has to do with lighter volume today. But,
7: most is that because the interest rates are going up? Yes, yes. And the And
5: the volume of mortgages is down as a result. So he's Jason's trying to demonstrate that the the you can watch the mortgage volume fluctuate and the the profitability of the bank tends to follow right direct correlation.
7: <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like then then the uh, Fed raising interest rates right now, if they're causing that precipitous uh, decline in profits for the banks, is maybe not such a wise idea.
3: Well, I think you're (laughs) right about that. And that's what, you know, it's kind of like watching your child run downhill. Um, The feet are getting ahead of the body. The body's getting ahead of the feet. The arms are flailing. We watch these things and we wonder the exact same thing because each time these rates tick up a little bit, you know it changes a little bit of the demand on the consumer side and we haven't struck this balance yet but each time these rates go up it has a it has an ability to raise the mortgage interest rate to the consumer now what we found is that the fed's raising the um the federal funds rate has not translated into a direct raise to the mortgage interest rate it's actually been the speculation and news primarily over things like the election that have caused the increase in interest rates um and also because of that same regulatory costs that i've been describing banks have higher profit margins too and so i think that's where these banks are staying relevant right now as they're giving up some of that profit margin. That's why you see the revenues falling a little bit. They're not yet losing money, but they're trying to maintain market share because the mortgage mortgage origination is your lifeline. If you're a bank, that that is where the money is for your bank because, I mean, all right. How many of us have a free checking account? Oh, what's that? Everyone? Yeah, they lose money on checking accounts. And then if you go in and and you know ask real nicely, they'll give you free checks. If they try to charge you for them, you complain a little bit. They'll give you free checks, right? They make up all this money in the mortgage market. So um, sooner or later, though, the the spread will change enough. The Fed keeps raising rates, where it finally does drag the mortgage interest rate with it for real. And then you gotta—that's going to raise the cost of housing um, to every U.S. citizen. And then you know, at some point, does that begin to undermine the overall balance? You know, right now it's so out of whack that it's hard to believe that's possible. But these things all lead to higher housing costs, and and that's that's the next shoe to drop. So that's what we're cautiously waiting to see how it happens.
5: Hey, Rick, we really appreciate you calling in today. We're about a minute or so away from the top of the hour break, so we're going to have to um, let you go here. But we do appreciate your call and appreciate the conversation. It's a good one. Um, The whole banking... Situations very interesting. The I, I don't know that most people understand how how much mortgage makes up the, the lion's share It of makes a huge a
3: difference, you know. And in looking at these bank profits, some of the things that we're staring at is that, you know... refinance volume is down and that's really so the purchase volume is actually increasing for most lenders i
5: was just looking at our volume compared to last year and we're running about 70 percent of volume compared to last year which i think is probably in line with the normal market i recently did our our most recent quarter report to the um cfpb on our mortgage volume and i noticed that last year we were at about a a two-thirds share 60% or so refi versus purchase. And this year it's flip-flopped. It's about two-thirds purchase, one-third refi. That's right. And yes, the purchase volume's gone up, but a, only a little bit. It's the refi volume that's just fell off a cliff. Well,
3: and since volumes altogether are down 30%, what you have is a lot more banks now competing for that smaller piece of the pie, smaller which is going to result in smaller margins and in an attempt to self-preserve. So therein lies the cycle, and um, it's a fun one. It's... It is. It's kind of fun to get into the gears here and try to understand what drives it all. And um, hey, guys, we're getting forced out of here for the top of the hour commercial break. We'll be back in about five minutes, a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. We got some housing stuff to talk and uh, other measures of the economy. So stick around and we'll be back in a few minutes here with more Mortgage
0: Matters. You're tuned into Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
6: I was feeling the blues. I was watching the news. This fella came on TV He said, I'm telling you That science has proved That heartaches are healed by the sea That got me going without even knowing I'm packed right up and rolled down Now I'm on a roll and I swear to my soul Tonight I'm gonna paint this town Two thing, collide. <laughs> one for each Let's set sail with Captain Morgan. Oh, never leave dry
5: land. All right, we're back. It's the best hour of Mortgage Matters. The second, it's the original hour. <laughs> the when was the original hour? half hour? Eleven to eleven thirty, wasn't yeah, it? That was the yeah. original half hour.
3: I was thinking about that the other day because I was thinking about through the years the different people that have come and gone in the spots before and after. Yeah, there's
5: been a lot of, but there's two constants on Motor Mouths and the Mortgage the Mortgage. Morga- yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. And man, Motor Mouths, what a great show. Remember and sport- a great name, too. Those guys are Motor Mouths. Uh,
5: yeah. Remember Sports Recipe? Yeah, yeah. I like that. I do. Yeah. It's a little flash in the pan show. The pan,
3: Dan's yeah. talked about having his own sports show right after this. <laughs>
5: I mean, if you just let me keep talking keep for talking. an hour, yeah. I don't want to have to yeah. pay for it or anything. Yeah,
3: no. How come nobody's <laughs> bought that next hour anyway, the 11 to noon? Uh-huh.
4: Oh, now you? they're well, doing the best Dave. of Dave. We have Best of Dave. Yeah, that's that, a good little so. segment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> By the way, if you ever get on his show, uh, the producer is sitting right in front of you. So, oh, Oh, probably you're, you the, the, you're the guy now? I'm the producer for The Best of Dave.
5: Ah, ah gotcha. So,
4: yeah, so. Cool. I know some segments would probably get used if you ever get invited on his show again.
3: Uh. Yeah. I like going on <laughs> Dave's show. Yeah, We've does, done it a yeah. few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, there's been a couple times where there, he's had guests on to talk about housing or something like that, and I'm like, man, that should be us. Call in, I should. You're right, but honestly, that like, what's the time slot of his show?
5: Three to seven. Three to seven. Three to
3: seven. Mm-hmm.
4: Monday through Friday.
3: Three to six is like not really in the cards for. I'm not listening to radio even from three to six. So I, yeah. if if ever I'm hearing the segment, that's like the five thirty or six or six thirty six o'clock show. Yeah, But, um, uh-huh. yeah, really, we should probably do a better job of making ourselves available for yeah. that expert testimony when needed. Exactly. Did you get you a Yeti, too, at the fair?
4: Well, it's not really a Yeti. It's kind of a knockout. Is it an Ozark? One. Yeah. And actually, um, I didn't get it for me. Uh, my sister got it for me.
3: So mm-hmm. this one's a Yeti right mm-hmm. here, Jim. Yeah, uh, That's the real deal. It's the real deal. I, yeah. I'm Your wa- son's
4: even wearing a Yeti t shirt <laughs> over there. I mean, boy, you I guys was, like, you know, sponsor
3: that, don't you? It was on clearance. Oh. I was at the, um, or I was watching this thing on, um, I don't think it was KSBY. Anyway, Anyways, one of the news channels. Okay. And they took that Ozark against the Yeti. Oh. Did you see this? No. They, so what they did was they filled them up with ice, right? Like an equal amount of ice. And then they put the caps on them and left them for 24 hours or yeah. whatever. Uh-huh. And then they poured the water off of them, basically what had melted. Yeah. And they were exactly the same. Exactly the same. So the, and, and the Ozark one obviously is 50 cents on the dollar to the price of yeah. the Yeti one. So I'm perfectly happy with yeah, like my Ozark. They're, yeah. Right? And yeah. it keeps your drink perfect. Hot or cold forever, hot or cold, forever, <laughs> indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was telling you the other day I about hope those Ozark's coolers for this
5: uh, testimonial here.
3: It's the Walmart brand <laughs> and they make coolers too. That's what I was going to tell you because we were talking about yeah. that the other night. There's like three or four of those companies that they, their product looks a lot like the Yeti, and performance wise, the testing was cool. I watched these guys that were like. You know, take them out in the desert, bang them around, roll them out of the back of a jeep at 40 miles an hour. Just all this, just torture these things and then see which one of them could hold their temperature the longest. And they're so close, but several of them outperformed the Yeti that are at like half the price of the actual Yeti. Wow. Pretty well, fascinating. You know, stuff. it's probably.
4: it's 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 dollars in the market and they may roll down the assembly line and one name gets stamped on one and the other gets stamped on the other i don't know aren't the yeti aren't
3: the yetis made in the usa though i believe so but i think these are too yeah and i was reading an article this (laughs) week though that walmart is actually rolling out some manufacturing facilities now in the u.s and they intend to take a lot of u.s manufacturing of their products back right now kind of good
4: That was kind of the original vision of Sam Walton, I think. Yeah.
3: So
8: maybe they're getting back to the roots.
5: We've got another caller on the line. We've got Pete calling from San Luis Obispo.
8: Morning, Pete. Hi. Hi. just heard, uh, I think it was Jason's comment about we ought to do a better job getting this information out, and I think you guys do a terrific job. Thanks, Pete. But I suggest you might do occasional shows on Congleton because there's a whole uh, wide a uh, different audience than yours. Probably anybody who listened to your show is focusing on your issues, right? But the stuff you do is of interest to a lot of people. It affects everybody. Yeah, even even renters. Mm-hmm. And um, I bet if you contact Dave, he'd put you on every now and then. Yeah, I and think
3: you're right, and we probably should. It's funny though one oh, of the one would. of the first times is we were we were trying to gain exposure yeah. for our show. Yeah. And so we we sent Dave an email and said, "Hey, you know this, this stuff's relevant." And I think we would told him about HARP or something, and this so this was like a yep. decade ago. Mm-hmm. Let us come on the sh- let us come on the show and talk about this issue. And so as we were getting ready to go live, and I told him I wanted to tell, talk about this issue, and then I wanted to mention mortgage matters, and he basically said, "You aren't going to plug your show on my show."
5: <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm
3: like, well, "Wait a minute, that's why I'm here." He did end up That's saying several Other times, people though. Plug their stuff on there. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he said several yeah. times yeah. that we were the guys from Mortgage Matters on Saturdays, but uh, <laughs> but and I think it was at least in part that he was like establishing that you know it was he was a radio pro on a really successful show and everybody knows that right, yeah. and then we were so green and I, <laughs> thinking back then too, um, oh, we weren't nearly as comfortable or you know. Easy, yeah. easy to, easy to mm-hmm. talk on the radio as we are after all these years. they so. has a weird sense of humor about things too. So
4: he was—he like, he yeah. knew that you were going to plug the show.
8: Yeah, he yeah. so. does get fussy sometimes. but <laughs> yeah. we're he does all get prone fussy. to that. That's and true, maybe, maybe try it again.
9: And yeah,
8: thanks, Pete. See yeah. what you can do, and talk about things you know of interest to the folks around here. You know, I see on the internet these ads focused on us about harp you know right. do it now do this and that and
3: oh man those are my favorites, too is just
8: confusing debilitating
3: the government the listen. government wants to give you this great free thing
8: uh, when is, when does
3: that happen right <laughs> yeah and
8: you guys can shine some light on that stuff and put it in plain english for the the riffraff which I consider myself a member of <laughs> and um just help us navigate these confusing deals. I've talked to Jason many times about stuff, and if everybody had was privy to the information I've gotten from him uh, over the air and uh, personally, they, might be, they, they would be better off. Thanks, so Pete. So you have a duty to get your information out.
3: I appreciate that.
8: Thanks for the show. I'll be
3: listening. All right. Have a great one. You too. Bye. Yeah, Pete's a great example. I mean, he's been calling in the show for years. I I don't think you've ever met him in person, have you? I don't think so. We've probably gotten together a half a dozen times or maybe more in the office. And um, yeah, he's he listens to the show, is a very loyal listener, and then comes in to figure out, you know, what how these things might benefit him or help him or whatever. And I don't think we've done like a transaction yet that's led to a closing, but I've always been happy to meet with him just like anybody just to be a resource and help where we can you know but he also he gives us referrals and stuff if he runs across people that need help or you know have a challenge or an issue or whatever just need a loan he's he's always helping us and it's a so we definitely appreciate that and thanks for calling pete i clipped a couple of oh you want to do that now i i clipped a couple of things about housing right we had Existing home sales, house price index from FHFA. We have Case-Shiller home price index. And then, of course, there's GDP, too. So there's all these kind of chunky things to talk about. Initial jobless claims, too. We stopped. Remember when we used to talk about initial jobless claims every single week? It was like a headline thing. It was a big deal. Did you see, though? So initial jobless claims... This is a little bit stale. Last week, you missed the show last week. You were on vacay. We had Adam Daner on, who's a estate attorney, real estate attorney in Tascadero. He also happens to be one of the Tascadero High School football coaches. So, I didn't know how significant that was to him, but his closing remarks were like, Bleed orange, sweat gray, or something, saying, gray something like that. Yeah. After it was like a whole, you know, really great conversation about a state planning, all these things. His final closing remarks are like about a Tascadero football. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I clipped this stat and wasn't even able to share it. But um initial jobless claims that week. So this was a week ago Thursday came in at 233,000, which was 15,000 less than the week before. That number of 233,000 was the 44-year low for people taking first-time unemployment benefits. That's crazy. 44 years? How many recessions does that catch? A few. (laughs) Yeah, a few is right, quite a bit. The initial jobless claims this last week um we're i mean up 10,000 so you know that previous week was down 15,000 so it bounced back up a little bit but 244,000 is still crazy low i mean it's it's so unbelievable it's the 125th straight week where Initial claims remained below 300,000. And that 300,000, that was a metric we talked about for so long. Yeah. Getting down there. Because you remember when initial jobless claims were six, 700,000 a week.
5: 800,000. Yeah, it was crazy for a while. For
3: a while. So this is the longest stretch since 1970. And even back then, the labor market was a lot smaller than it is today. Um, and today, we're of course we're near a full labor market. Yeah, I was gonna um, say if we're
5: not at it already, this is evidence that we're very near.
3: Jobless rate today is at four point four percent, and these numbers have been a little bit volatile recently too because automakers have shut down some annual assemb- they have annual maintenance on some assembly plants, and they go through these short term. Um, layoffs where those guys will get unemployment for the period where the manufacturers are retooling. Um, And then also, um, and they do that also, I guess, because that's one of the ways they can manage um, having excess inventory. Um, But anyways, it kind of points to the fact that these numbers could actually be less than they are reporting, which is just fascinating too. But um so the employment market is looking pretty darn good. And um, did you get? Did you clip stuff on the uh, GDP stuff that ties ties right into this? Yeah,
5: and yeah. And when we come back from this commercial we break, we should go. talk yeah, this, just about that GDP stuff, yeah. Eager, <laughs> you you got a pee or something? You're real, you're <laughs> just, real eager to break. Trying to, trying to keep us on schedule here. Got a hook, okay? <laughs> Take it. Yeah, yeah. GDP's coming up. We got a couple of home price indices as you mentioned. A lot of lot of data this week, so we'll we'll keep uh, plowing forward when we come back from this this break. Stick around for more mortgage matters.
3: Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero-down and low-down
1: payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just
6: call 543
1: Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 01839608. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358.
6: We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. So, highway's getting longer. It seems there ain't no inside. Sleep would be best, but I just can't afford to rest. I got to ride in Denver all night. I call the house, but no one answers. For the last two weeks, no one's been home. Yes, she's true with me. To tell the truth, I just can't see. And what's kept the warm and holding all this long? And the white line's getting longer. And the setup's getting cold. Now I'm much too young to feel this devil.
3: All right, welcome back, you guys. Didn't it just rock
4: the place when he did that the other day?
3: Some of the songs up in the middle of the show, too, were like 30-second yeah. rip from several songs just kind of meddling them together yeah, just they to did, they did remind something. you that this dude has written a soundtrack for your life if you listen to 90s country music. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. That was my first time ever seeing Garth. Oh, yeah. I, I,
4: that was my second. Yeah. I saw him.
3: Yeah. And even... Um, so and I took the boys with me. We determined that my daughter was too young at eight to go out that late into a show like that. Yeah. But um and the crowd was pretty well behaved, I thought. Mm. Um but yeah, the my boys are they know the words to about every Garth Brooks song, so yeah. They sure yeah, have. He, he
4: was to know there singing it. I know he was. He knows yeah. he knew this song. Yeah.
3: yeah. But
4: yeah, it was a good. It was a good time.
3: Good stuff.
4: Yeah, I didn't see the second show. I just saw the first.
3: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, good show. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever need to do it again. No. No. I mean, I, it, yeah. it seems like, uh, just almost the novelty of doing yeah, it. It was, yeah. it was a redneck sing along for like, you know, all the songs It was different than most of the shows that I ever go to. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I've been to a lot of live music that might've been the first big country concert that I'd ever been to really? before. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Which is funny. Cause I was I, the other way around. I like a lot of country music. I mean, like we're, we're listening to Randy Travis on the way in my, yeah. my boys singing all the Randy Travis lyrics, but, yeah. um, you know, we listen to a lot of country music, but I just don't go to a lot of those.
4: Maybe we'll put on some Randy Travis coming back from the night. But week. I've been to like your son's over there shaking his head. I've been, <laughs> I've
3: been to Jethro Toll, The Who, you know, bands like Skid Row. All see, I did it the
4: other way around. Bed, I did all, all country, these... and then I started doing rock. Oh, and I'm no. more. Everybody thinks I'm more of a rock guy, but I'm kind of country
3: and rock. Well, know? I worked at a steakhouse that played country music through the 90s and that was all we listened to so you know developed a a love for it based off of that but (laughs) but along that like outside of that you know i was always into like the 60s 70s rock that was a big part of my life growing up yeah so i guess when i got to go to shows i went to those instead of country but yeah sure was fun (laughs) um so yeah as tease let's talk about gdp
5: Let's do it. GDP was looking okay in line with expectations. Give us your give us your best uh, Wikipedia
3: response <laughs> of of what GDP is for the I was just quizzing ah. the boy during the break here. My son's about to Not be a sophomore it. in high school and said, You want to tell us when we come back what GDP is? And he said, I don't know what GDP is. So I know what we'll be talking about on the ride home. But um
5: <laughs> the gross domestic product the country's yeah. the total value of the country's production there you go consists of purchases of goods and services by individuals, businesses, foreigners, government entities um and about 70% plus or minus is made up of consumer spending so that's the biggest chunk of gdp so it's it's what our country's doing how we're doing a business and, um, you know, ideally we'd, we'd like to be around 3% or higher. Um, I know that's the, the target for, I thought the target
3: was three and, three
5: and a half, I guess is the target for this administration. And, um, you know, we're Oh no, no. For this administration, I think it's like four, something, <laughs> but three, I mean, three is just uh, the historical target. I think, I think that's yeah. what the fed is hoping for is about 3% growth year over year and we haven't been there for years um you know we've been a a little we've been underperforming and this second quarter had us is i don't know if this is the it's not the first reading i don't know if it's the second or final reading of of gdp for the second quarter but this this reading that we had shows us at about a 2.6 annualized rate of of growth so it's it's good it's not quite hitting our target but it's not You know, it's not a bad number.
3: Well, it was even a little bit below expectations of 2.8%, and, you know, shows that consumers did much of the heavy lifting in Q2 with spending, um, but personal consumption always makes up the biggest component of GDP growth, and so... Um, basically, it, what it falls down to, I think, ultimately, I mean, GDP is an attempt to be some sort of an output measure, right? I mean, you, what you're trying to do is figure out what kind of, what kind of value or total, um, or total output or total value added that the economy is producing, um, you know, and they they can measure this by income, expenditure, or production, and really, when you're measuring. Those three things, that should all be coming up with a pretty similar number. So this was a first read. That's a big deal. It gives us that kind of first look about how the quarter's shaping up. And um, we also, though, get a little look into quarter one. Um, and what we found in quarter one is that GDP was had a downward revision from what was ultimately 1.4 was revised down to 1.2. Um, I'm trying to remember... I think the expectation originally for quarter one, I wanted to say that that was a 1.7. So I think it missed and now has been further revised downward. Um, And, you know, so there's, there's a, it gives us all an idea of what's going on. Um, Spending on housing investment was notably weak. Um, The, decline here about 6.8% over the previous quarter. Um, The National Association of Home Builders continues to stress that land and labor shortages are are inhibiting their ability to produce. And um, this has been a favorite pastime of the show here is to sit around and think about when you build a new home, um, what it does to the economy and how many jobs it creates. I mean, it starts with... Um, it starts with a, a planning at a conceptual level with draftsmen and architects and engineers and staff at the local agencies, city, county. Desks geologists and and oh, uh,
5: got you know survey guys and, and then once stuff. we
3: start getting work boots on now we're talking about graders and plumbers and electricians and roofers and the guys renting the
5: equipment yeah you know, all the heavy
3: equipment the equipment manufacturers like caterpillar and then you're talking about you know all the demand on fuel and just all of these things that go into it and then we get on down the road and you got escrow and loan officers and companies like ours but you've got appraisers and, you know, so it isn't, it doesn't take very long to understand that, Hey, hang on a minute. Uh, Housing might actually make the world go round. (laughs) Um, In fact, you know, because it's one of the three basic needs, right? Shelter. um, This does, it turns out to be such a critical component to the overall health of the economy. And so it feels like this is probably one of those things that has us, um, held back a little bit. It's the choker, right? But at the same time, the consumer, like we said, the consumer picked up some of that slack. They did um, a bit of the heavy lifting in terms of getting out and consuming. And why is the consumer out there and feeling confident? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that if you own a home, you're feeling pretty good about your position in your equity. Your house payment is a 30 year fixed. It's known and controlled and afforded. Um, You've got with these, with these labor conditions, the way they are, you know, most people are feeling that their job is pretty secure. And I think everybody would like to make a little bit more money, but altogether, all of these things mean that the consumer's got a pretty high level of confidence right now, which means they're out there spending. And so um, it you know, I I just don't see the end in sight. I don't see where the builder's gonna be able to come up with that additional skilled labor and find that easily developable land. And so um that I, I don't expect to see a big change there. I don't expect to see that we're gonna find suddenly that um building constraints, however you wanna however you want to throw the umbrella over that whole thing, is you got to remember you've got the environmental concerns, right, be it water and, and, and traffic and all these different things that need to go into wherever it is that you're going to build in the U.S. And these constraints exist about everywhere. I mean, granted, some jurisdictions are going to be a little bit easier than others, but um, all of this leads to that end result, that ability to actually get out and build these homes. So um, definitely a big part of it. We got um the Commerce Department also released the annual revisions of the last two years' worth of GDP data. So now, as they go out and show what happened, um, growth averaged a two point two pace from two thousand and fourteen to two thousand and sixteen. Um, which was originally anticipated or, or calculated originally at 2.1%. So things a little bit better than were expected, but that, I mean that's not hardly enough to move the needle. Um, and by the way, when you're looking back at GDP over the preceding two years, Who cares? It didn't, it's not, yeah, it's kind of how we got here, but everybody's looking forward to what happens in the next two years. We don't need to sit around and have what happened for the last <laughs> two years, right? Right. So going forward, um, a lot of eyes on that, you know, that that's a, a real big measure. And um, it is hand in hand, of course, with the capitalist nature of this country is that we know in capitalism, there's really... Two choices. You're
5: growing or you're dying.
3: Yeah. And, (laughs) And if you're not getting bigger and doing more and producing more and adding that value to the output of the country um yeah then you're shrinking and when you're shrinking we know what happens in the shrinking um the shrinking is where gdp is at a negative for two quarters that's the definition of a recession that's where you see the assets fall that's where you see unemployment go up you know going back those numbers we were talking about where seven eight nine hundred thousand people a week out of work looking for benefits and all of the everything that goes along with that so you know what um Every quarter that we have some positive GDP, that's a good thing for capitalist America. Um, we are, everybody, there's always a concerted effort to be to be pushing more, to be making more. Um, and, you know, I, that, obviously we just went through this election cycle, but that was a real big part of the message that, um, you know, right, wrong, or otherwise – that was what um, one of the messages I think that that resonated with the rest of the country was that um, getting the U.S. on track with producing more domestically and making and making the kind of deals that we need to be competitive at exporting and making sure that there's these fair deals. And this is what it all goes back to: is those GDP numbers. How can you how can you be producing at a way that is providing for the country and demonstrating real growth and and value added output these are those numbers and they're not bad it wasn't enough uh you know yesterday in the mortgage market i was is this was a big week um we still have those housing numbers to get to to talk about the home values we got two reads on that values
5: and home sales yeah,
3: but all these things added up to a pretty big week. We got a Fed statement, we got a GDP reading, you know, and also altogether, you know, the I think that these things were basically just as the market expected. It wasn't a real big shakeup. Yeah, and, it was a
5: pretty flat week as far as interest rate movement goes, which
3: is good because I was honestly I was worried that we might get enough good news that that stuff could um, begin to push interest rates upward a little bit. So it's nice to know that. We did. We got a fair amount of good news, and we didn't have the the pullback um, that could have happened um, on those housing stats. Um, the first one, and and again, this is a little bit aged, but June existing home sales. So these are your previously lived in homes. Um, June experienced a little bit of a fall in terms of. The volume of sales, but gathering attention in all the headlines is about prices just soaring to fresh records. So again, that supply and demand thing, this has been a real consistent part of this message, but, um, seasonally adjusted annual rate of existing home sales is at 5.52 million, which is 0.07% above the rate a year ago. Um, it's 1.8% below the month of May. So you can see that 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 volume of sales has declined a little bit, um, though it's still slightly above what it was a year ago. Total inventory nationally is 7.1% lower than a year ago. So still, I mean, demonstrating a tighter supply And that's driving up the prices. So at the current pace of existing home sales, we have 4.3 months of inventory. And um, that is pushing prices up to really all-time highs. The median sales price of an existing home in the U.S. is $263,800. That's 6.5% higher than a year ago. So there's one of the... First of the pr- appreciation numbers that we'll go over here, six and a half percent, coming off of the existing home sales data. Before we move on from this, um, one of the really interesting things that I that I saw from the National Association of Realtors said that the number of homes for sale now is the same as 1994. So the total volume of existing homes for sale is the same as it was 23 years ago. You know what's not the same as it was 23 years ago?
5: The price. The population.
3: There are (laughs) 63 million more people trying to fit in and compete for that exact same size piece of the pie as there was 23 years ago. And so if you are looking... You know, I constantly get people in that want to ask about the bubble. First-time homebuyers are, are shy and scared, and probably rightfully so. But if you want to ask me about the bubble, this is an arrow I just threw in the quiver. And it's going to be the first one out for the next few months here, is that um, there are 63 million more people competing for the same amount of homes listed for sale as there were 23 years ago. And that is what that it's so out of whack. I mean, you want to define a housing crisis? If you wanted to write the recipe for a house, an affordable housing crisis, here you go. You have too many people competing for too few of
5: homes. We were talking about this very issue in in our office, a couple of us yesterday. And, you know, it comes up often. It's a, it's a question on everyone's mind about, you know, with when prices go up, you start to wonder, you know, what goes up must come down. Well, when we're is at all-time highs now. Right. Even here locally. But I just, I like you, I don't see the crash potential here because there's too much demand. I could see people just giving up because it's unaffordable. I could see that, and that will lead to less demand. It might... At some point, you'll find some equilibrium there between supply and demand because people just give up on buying a home when the prices get too high. But I don't see it completely alienating all buyers to the point where you have to lower prices to find a buyer. To compete? I I don't see that. It's just not possible, especially when you think about this millennial generation that's just beginning to reach home-buying age in their life. You know, we're not even we're only scratching the surface of the millennials buying homes so there's so there's this huge demographic of people that are making their way to home buying age that haven't quite got there yet so i i don't see i i don't have a worry about prices yeah at some point we're going to get to a high enough where where some people just give up and you might see a you know a little less appreciation year over year you might even see it plateau for a period of time which is totally healthy and normal but I I do not see the crash scenario.
3: I don't either. I mean, I think there are some of those... Like, if if I'm going to sit down and try to come up with what the real threat is to this economy, um, there's a few of those things that aren't fun to think about that I think are scary, you know? And for me, I think they're environmental and they're also um, those... Like, imagine if LA had that 8.0 earthquake, you know? And you... That's not a fun thing to think about even for a second. The, I mean, there'd be millions of people probably killed. And, you know, then all, everything that that means to be living in California, those types of things that are absolutely beyond everybody's control, I think are potentially could undermine the value of real estate here. But when we're just looking out at, you know, right now, what I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but wage growth, I mean, it's basically stagnant. We talk about these great employment numbers and all these things, but we're not seeing people earning a bunch more money than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So reality is most households are figuring out how to fit into these more expensive homes and stretch that dollar further than ever before. And the GDP numbers show us that they're able to do that and still keep making the purchases and doing the other things that they need to do to keep the, the country afloat. So, what changes there what gives there i'm not entirely sure what event there could be the other thing is that um i saw this week that there are parts in the country now because the rental market is so impacted there are places in the country now where buying a home is 33% cheaper than renting a home in those areas so you're you're now seeing rents going up at astronomical levels and I mean go look locally here if you want to talk about what's been going on in the rental market, it's absurd. It absolutely matches what's been going on in the home buying market. It's stressful and expensive and cutthroat. And so for all those reasons, I don't see I don't see it as a bubble. Now is it expensive and arguably overpriced? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, But to your point, I mean, I look at these first-time homebuyers that are coming in my office still every week. Some of the first-time homebuyers, I mean, I'm dealing with these people where the wife's an attorney and the husband's a principal. That's a normal kind of thing. These are first-time homebuyers that are, you know, they have great jobs and they, they are absolutely deserving and can't afford a home. And they've been hoping to get lucky to find one, you know? So they're, they're, uh, even if the, the average person is, is struggling with that affordability, these 63 million people that are out there looking in the same, they're shopping in the same market. Some of them, um, the affordability isn't the biggest concern. It's actually finding a property. So,
5: Let's see here. we got another caller on the line. Let's hop to it. We've got about 15 minutes left on the air today, so if you'd like to get a call in, now's the time, 543-8830. We've got Dan calling in from Templeton. Good morning, Dan.
9: Hey, hi. Hi, guys. I love your program. Hey, I was in a bad reception area. What was the statistics you gave about... Um, how many more people there are in our country and the same amount of housing or something? I looked yeah, it.
3: It was in terms of existing home sales. So these are used homes being sold in the U.S. This is a national right. figure. Um, right. The current annual pace is 5.52 million homes no, for sale. He,
5: there's 63 million. Oh, okay.
3: And as related to that, that was the same exact annual homes for sale number um, in 1994. And the wow. change in population from 1994 to today is a delta of 63 million people. So wow. what you've got is of used homes were transacting at the same pace as we were when we had 63 million less people.
9: Wow. And that's incredible.
3: it is incredible. And if you want to put that into context here, the 5.2 million homes, that's the annual adjusted rate. How many homes are we building annually in the U S right now? Um, it's not 5 million. So oh. you won't be bringing equilibrium to this market by way of newly constructed homes, um, you know, and with these population numbers as they stand, it just goes on to show that we've got a pent up demand that really isn't a resolution to that demand in sight,
9: yeah, hey, I'm really excited about something uh, you guys will be interested in. My nephew, as we speak, is on his way here from Calgary, Alberta. They just bought a home in templeton, and you guys I think handled the financing for them on my recommendation. Mm-hmm and uh we've been taking care of their house uh last couple weeks since the closed escrow and it's really a nice home and i'm so happy for them they're, they're, it's the first time first home that they've bought they're like 40ish or so and they've been renting all their lives and they finally are getting their own home and it's it's a fabulous home and a great location and they should they should arrive here tonight they got a u-haul truck and all and uh, you guys did handle the financing. I don't know awesome. if that or not.
3: We did and I I myself and my team was able to help them with that. It was a fantastic transaction and I hoped that I'd got the opportunity to thank you personally for that referral. Thank you very much. And um, yeah. yeah.
9: I told Ryan, I said, I listened to their program, and I think that's a really good way to go for you to contact them, and yeah. I'm glad he did. So,
3: Yeah, absolutely. That was cool. And, yeah, definitely relocating from out of the country. And um, interestingly enough, these, these kinds of transactions are not generally easy, uh, but they were very good borrowers, and um, it was a, a good... Um, you know everything came together just like it's supposed to, and I'm thrilled that you get to have your family moving back to town. Oh and, my
9: goodness, um, Fabulous. that's a <laughs> that's
3: a realization of a pretty impressive dream right there. So congratulations yeah. to all of you guys, and and again, thanks so much for entrusting in, in us with your with your family and and allowing us to be the one to help. I can't thank you enough.
9: Yeah, well, thank thank you, and I appreciate all the work you did for them, and it's just a really good feeling, and we're looking forward to having our precious three little children they're seven five and three and yeah. they're you know it's not our grandkids they're our they are our nie- nephews and nieces but anyway it's going to be fun to have them in town yeah. so awesome yeah so anyway thanks for the program thanks dan okay you guys take care bye too bye well, that's cool
3: yeah i always like getting that that good feedback it's nice and thank god it went well
5: <laughs> right
3: <laughs> Real estate can be messy. It
5: can be, and it's imagine. emotional and stressful. It's a big it's a big deal. Yeah, so well, yeah, it's nice when things go right.
3: And I won't <laughs> lay too many of the cards on the table, but um, there was there was some heavy lifting in that transaction too, as you can imagine. Um, relocating employers because you're coming from Canada, foreign income, foreign income. Um, getting W twos and things like that are not yeah. all the same when they're coming from foreign companies. They don't do it exactly the same, um, and you know. So yes, they were very good borrowers, but it's just the getting, getting an underwriter to to view that package and and say yeah, absolutely, this is what you um, you know this good job. But ultimately, yeah. we were able to document it all as need be, and it came together. So. Definitely cool. Are we out of commercial breaks now? Is yeah, that what happened? I think we blew through that last one. We ran that one That's off. That's all right. That's Let's no problem. We can talk Phone for call is more important I, than a... I've <laughs> talked for <laughs> 10 minutes more so than it. once. Blow through the last commercial
5: break. Right. Yeah. Um, the home price indices, FHFA, Yeah. S&P. and I was going
3: to ask you again, FHFA is
5: what? <laughs> uh-huh. Federal Housing Finance Authority. This is the index based on appraisal data that is uploaded to the agencies. So nowadays, an appraisal, an appraiser doing a report isn't the end of it. The data, the, the report is standardized, and the data gets uploaded to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and they provide some statistics.
3: Before we talk about more home price appreciation, that's what's coming. <laughs> <Right>. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I wanted to tell you this head-scratcher right here. I put a loan on this week for... A cash-out refi, okay? Um, It's an investment property, so non-owner-occupied cash-out refi here in San Luis, and I got a property inspection waiver. Have you heard of this? Well, I mean, yeah. A cash-out refi, though, on a non-owner? You can do it.
5: I guess I just the first one that I saw, yeah, and fannie at the fr- at I, it was late last year they announced their new criteria for for appraisal inspection waivers um and and refis definitely targeting refi business. Well, and the
3: reason I bring it up is that it's relevant to what you're talking about, the FHFA because they're accumulating all of these mm. appraisal stats they're gaining more confidence in what home values are. That's right. the same data set that's providing the indice with the ability to tell you now what home price appreciation is. Exactly.
5: Yeah. So now with, with mo- a lot of refis now you can, you can do the transaction without getting an appraisal. There's some certain, there's criteria that has to be met. You have to be the same, at least one of the same owners of the property refying. You now you can't have changed, who's on title and refi um it, there has to have been an appraisal since the upload since, since the appraisal standardization has occurred so basically in the last seven years and has these to have guys been an appraisal in though. this
3: transaction i'm talking about they had done a refinance a year ago so there you go and they did an appraisal at that time and so i think that data just being fresh and dependable enough was that that fhfa had the confidence in that
5: to allow a finding to yeah. come
3: back for a waiver.
5: So yeah, this is a this is all the appraisal data that that generates this index here. And year over year, um, FHFA reported that home prices were up nearly seven percent, six point nine percent year over year increase. So big number there. And then um, we had the other big home price index, which is the S and P case. Uh, is it now S and P Core Logic Case Schiller? Yeah. Are we getting? Is there no end to the the sponsorship of this number? <laughs> this is crazy. It's going to be the S and P Core Logic, AT and T, Case Shiller, Monster, yeah. Petco. <laughs> right. Oh boy! So this one, what did it show? Uh, unadjusted prices were year over year up five point seven percent. So. Mostly in line. That's what we see, a little variation between the two, but both up around 6%. That's what we've come to get used to here. Yeah. And it did not disappoint. There was an interesting article
3: on a site called housingwire.com, and I will read you the headline. It's obviously relevant to the conversation, but um, the headline is that housing is not repeating the bubble period. Hmm. And so basically what they're showing is that – like you said, the SP CoreLogic K. Schiller US National Home Price Index, which covers all nine of US Census divisions, increased 5.6% in May. They have the same increase the month before. Um, they are showing that home prices continue to climb, outpacing both inflation and wages. Um, and housing is not repeating the same stats of the bubble period from 2000 to 2006. Price increases vary across the country, unlike the earlier period when rising prices were almost universal. The number of homes sold annually is 20% less today than in the earlier period, and the months of supply is declining, not surging. So during the last bubble period, appreciation is going up, uniformly across the country as is volume um and that supply at the same time was increasing that bubble is inflating and bursting today these numbers suggest that the values are um still having very much a local influence and control the overall um supply is actually declining rather than surging. And so for these reasons, they're saying that um, new construction, which at that period was surging and really causing a lot of the drive, new construction right now, um, is is higher but um, still very low, and that's a factor, too, in the rising prices. So um, it's really different now, and they're, they're basically tying all this together to suggest that um, none of these things line up and point to the same type of bubble that we saw before, and I want to point out, too, that in none of that are they describing that in the bubble before – almost all of that affordability was due to loans where the borrower was not demonstrating an ability to repay. More right. than 50% of the loans that were going on were for people that did not have the same proven ability to repay versus the people today. And I can argue they should have had that in this article because that's the number one reason why this is in a bubble.
5: It's so interesting to hear that and so re- s- relieving and refreshing to hear that because it validates what we were talking about just earlier. Today's market is based on supply and demand. That's why the low supply, the high demand, is leading to higher home prices. It's normal economic fundamental things going on here. The previous period, the previous housing cycle, was based on euphoria and speculation and liar loans and all that kind of stuff. That's what led to it. It wasn't normal economic fundamentals. Right. So this. This housing market is different. It is m- predictable. You you understand why, whereas before it it was hard to say why. Well, and the
3: other funny thing too. Um you know, I'm going to throw your cards on the table. I'll throw mine down too. I only own one home. Yeah, You only own one home. (laughs) Um, When you look around in the the last bubble, part of the problem was, I'm not kidding you, the girl that cut my hair was bragging about buying four homes and not making a down payment on one of them and doing occupancy fraud on all four of them.
5: And probably doing them all in a short period of time. Going Mm. from renter to four home homeowner in a short period of time. And
3: guess how many Home she owns today
5: <laughs> i'm guessing it's a nice round number zero
3: <laughs> as round as they come <laughs> yeah. um yay we're running out of oh okay let me just tell you this because no, 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 i no. wanted to san francisco 36 <laughs> percent um This is the number of owner-occupied homes lower than the national average. San Francisco, 30%. Seattle, 46%. Portland at 52%. These are also areas where some of the higher inflation uh, in home prices is going on, too. So that's kind of an interesting thing, too, as well. Owner-occupied home ownership rate nationally is at 64%. So interesting. Anyway, we're running out of time to talk about that fun housing stuff. Like Pete said earlier in the show, um, we consider it our duty to be bringing you guys this information. We really want to be helpful for you. Uh, The show heres we don't run it like an infomercial, uh, but I want to remind you that uh, the show is brought to you by Central Coast Lending. Dan and I are the two owners. We're the only owners. We work in the business all day, every day on Saturdays, too. And um, we want to be a resource for you. If you need a loan, you need a refi, you want to buy, you're trying to do some retirement planning and maybe you want to explore getting a a lower house payment or paying your home off before you retire, these are all the kind of things that we're working on. It's not the same as going to Quicken. It's not the same as doing a loan online all by yourself. Um, If you call us, what you're getting is uh, some mortgage experts that are really interested in in helping smooth this all out for you. So call us this week at 543-LOAN. Find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for being with you guys. Uh, We'll be back next week with another live episode. So uh, be well.